Welcome to the Antioch Sheffield podcast. We are so glad that you can join us for today's message. For more information about Antioch Sheffield, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk. Well, good morning, everybody. It is great to be with you this morning. My name is Blake, like Todd said. Now, it might get a little confusing because I do understand that a dear friend of mine was here just two weeks ago who is also American, also from Texas, also moved to London, and also named Blake. So, um, but I am, in fact, a different person. Uh, we are just here to confuse you. Um, but I do want to say it is such, I mean, it's an honor, it's a privilege, it's a delight to be here um, you gave me an excuse to get out of London, uh, which was a amen and hallelujah, um, but also it's just great to be with family. Um, so like T- Todd said, about three years ago, my wife and I, uh, before that, were the youth pastors in Antioch Community Church, Waco. Uh, we loved that job. In fact, just a quick plug for anything youth or student related, I just think everybody should do two professions in life. Number one, you should be a server at some point because I think just the food, food service industry is hard. It's hard work and it makes you appreciate it. And number two, I think you should serve students in some way, shape or form. It teaches you how to dig down deep, find Jesus and labor among people's lives. Um, and so we did that for five years. It was an amazing experience and we were actually ready to dive in for another, uh, uh, another round of five years. We just figured that that's what we were going to keep on doing. Um, But through a series of dreams and prophetic words that were just out of the blue but right on the mark, um, uh, we knew that God was calling us to London. So um, in my time of youth ministry, became kind of curious on some of the other tools that the church needs in its tool belt to be able to help um, transform communities and people's lives. And so that led me to do a master's in business in London. So that's what brought us here. Um, and then COVID hit. And so as with many of you in this room, we've kind of been in a really weird uh, uh, stage of life for the last year and a half. But in Jesus' name, things are opening back up, and we are, we are expectant and waiting to hear from the Lord on what's next for us. But bottom line is, I am one of you. I am so grateful to be with you this morning and so grateful to be able to serve this house. Um, so what I, one thing that I want to talk to you about this morning is um, expectations. And in particular, what do you do when things don't turn out exactly the way you expected? Um, you know, I think this is a common question that we all have to wrestle with throughout life. In fact, I think uncomfortably, more than life than we want to admit is about dealing with expectations uh, that are unmet when things don't quite go out the way um, that you expected. Um, and so uh, when we moved here to London, one of the, the great things, um, uh, an American dream, so not the American dream, but an American dream is living in Europe and being able to visit all over everywhere uh, in Europe. So Americans are very fascinated by Europe, want to visit Europe, and just the idea of being able to live in London. And I've come across this phrase in British English that American English doesn't have, and it's brilliant. I just, I love it. It's the term pop over, okay? So Americans, we say you can stop over, you can make a pit stop, but we don't have anything as light and like effortless as pop over. And so in my mind, when we moved to London, we were just going to pop over to Europe. It sounds so easy, so effortless. Like, that sounds so lovely, sign me up. And when we moved here, one place in particular was France. So um, uh, it just seems to be the place to visit. And so everybody talks about how lovely it is. And you should go to the south of France. It's amazing. You should go there. And so I was like, okay, we have a long weekend coming up. This was a couple years ago. 
Um, I was like, let's go, let's go to France. Let's have our own romantic getaway. At the time, um, it was my wife. Oh, I forgot. Can I actually get a picture? Just to give you a bit of context. Forgot to show. There's my family. I do have uh, counterparts uh, before I get too far in. So my wife, Lee, our oldest son, Truman, there in the middle. He's almost five. And then Elliot, our little ball of fire, uh, he is two. Uh, and so um, we live, yes, like I said, we live in southwest London. Um, but Lee at the time was pregnant with Elliot, and she gave me a mandate of two things, you know. And so when, when a pregnant woman tells you something, you say, yes, ma'am, okay? So she said, number one, I don't want to fly on a plane. I said, fair enough. Number two, I don't, um, she said, number two, I don't want to be in the city, okay? So, so she gave me kind of this main mandate. She's like, I don't mind being in somewhat of a city, but I don't want to be in Paris, okay? So I was like, okay, I think we can do that. So plane crossed off the list. Sadly, fr south of France went up in flames. Okay, so I was like, surely we can still have a romantic getaway. So as I did some research, I started looking around, and obviously, okay, so Eurostar, we can do that. Okay, we get to Paris. Now, how do we get, okay, well, I settled on Versailles. I was like, this is going to be great. If it was good enough for Louis XIV, surely it's going to be good enough for us, right? So I, had, I scheduled everything out, um, and we got ready to go. Now, if you are familiar with France, um, maybe you already realize my error, but um, the, the first sign that things weren't going to go exactly as planned is we completely missed our train. So I had, again, I'm sorry, this is really just rookie American, like this is just totally my fault. We, show, we rock up to St. Pancras, and I'm thinking like commuter train, like, you know, you just like scan in, and you get on, you go, it's great, right? No, 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 Eurostar functions more like an international flight. You show up, you check in, security, you wait, you board, you leave, okay? So completely missed our first train with a, a small child in tow. Uh, so we paid a fee, we then rescheduled on the next train, we got there. When we get to Paris, again, I made this like fatal assumption that like, well, the London Underground is phenomenal, like this is going to be great, we'll just take, we'll just take the, the Parisian equivalent. Um, no, not actually the same. In fact, it was a wild experience of trying to navigate from Paris to Versailles, and we looked absolutely ridiculous lugging our luggage and our small child. I mean, we just looked like such tourists. So we get to Versailles, and you know, it was midday, so it was, it was lovely outside, but our, our Airbnb was so hard to find. I couldn't find it. I also don't speak French, which doesn't help. Um, and so uh, I finally, we finally find it. And, you know, I had this moment where I was like, am I in modern-day France, or am I starring in a remake of Charles Dickens' Tale of Two Cities? And I'm about to lose my head. It was kind of like this, like, the, the, the kind of, like, entryway to it was kind of run down and shabby, and it just, just, like, I was like, where are we? Now, to be fair, when we got inside, the Airbnb, it was quite lovely. Um, it was great. Um, but by afternoon, I started not feeling well, and by nightfall, I had a full-blown fever. And so I was sick. I was not feeling well. I just wanted to rest. And then I was like, okay, at least we've got dinner, okay? We're going to have amazing French food. It's going to be awesome. Come to find out, Versailles shuts down at like 6, right? And so there's nothing open, and everything that is open is booked. So my romantic French dinner ends up being crepes, okay? So here we are. I was just like, I can't. I, there's so many fatal errors. But the, the moral of the story is it didn't turn out like I thought it would. In fact, I still have some like angst against the French. I'm sorry if you're French in here. So it's, Now, I actually need to be really truthful with you. If we're all honest, it was probably my fault, not theirs. Um, it is my fault. But as I look around this room, whether it's your fault or someone else's fault, things do have a tendency to not turn out as we expect. 
And corporately, as I think back over this season, I know that COVID, coronavirus is getting a, a lot of airtime, so I'm not going to talk that much about it. But I do want to acknowledge that corporately, we have been through a time where things haven't turned out exactly like we thought. And you know, when you face these moments, it really, you, you have this rush of emotions. If, if you're anything like me, you first get angry, okay, so it's just, if I'm being really vulnerable and repenting, Jesus, help me. My first response is anger and, 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 and frustration. It, like, this shouldn't be, I planned this, I did, I ticked all the boxes, this should have turned out way better than it is. And then quickly, that's followed by um, disappointment and and, 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 and surprise and sometimes just shock where you're just like, I, I didn't even know that this could happen this way. Or, and then if we kind of keep tracing the emotional train along, I think the final thing that we feel is like sadness. Now, obviously, I just was joking about a, 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 a ruined vacation to France, but for other things in life, it can leave us disappointed and sometimes even disillusioned. And... Um, uh, no matter who you are or where you're from, what I do know is that these instances lead us to a really important question. And that question is, what now? It's a two-word, very simple question. What now? So this morning, I want to revisit as we answer this question, as we seek to say, Jesus, what do you have to say about this question? I want to revisit a familiar story. Now, it's a story that I don't think really uh, about a character that I don't think gets enough credit. In fact, he is usually in, uh, in kind of the backstage background to everybody else in the story, and usually for great reason. Um, but I want to revisit the story of Joseph. Um, so I realize that I'm about to read a scripture to you that is only read in Christmas season. But I want to, in, as we're kind of all a little bit off, you know, knocked off balance onto our back foot, I think it's helpful to revisit things out of rhythm because you see something fresh. And so if you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 20, it'll be up on the, the screen. Um, just a real quick, quick plug. Um, I, I believe in like the power of using the, the codex version of the Bible, the book version. And that's because your Bible isn't going to try to sell you some instant meals or tell you to preheat the oven on your way home, right? So I just, just a quick, I mean, it, it's nothing. And, and if you have a phone, there's no judgment, no condemnation. My phone's right here staring at me in the face. So, but I do think that there's value in, 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 in boxing out the world and focusing on a little bit, interacting with the hard text. This is such a this book has so much to say, but sometimes we just need to be attentive to listen to it. Um, so turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. That's, that's for free. That's a side note. Um, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage. Oh, that's verse 25. Sorry, I cut that off. Um, but um, so here we are. And what I don't 
know if you noticed, but verse 18, I think, are some of the most significant words in anybody's life. Um, and, and those are, there's six words, and it goes something like this. She was found to be pregnant, okay? So those are life changing words, all right? And if it's your first time, you don't really know how life-changing those are, but they will be, and they are. But as with most things in life, context matters. Context matters. And in Joseph's context, these were life-changing in all of the wrong ways. Things, saying that things didn't quite go as he expected would be a massive understatement. Now, I think hindsight's always 20-20, so we read this and we're like, yeah, but it's okay because, well, Jesus turns out to be Jesus, and then, you know, usually we don't really pay attention to this because we're reading about Mary's response to God, God's visitation and her wonderful, like, worship session that she says in response, and, and, and as I said earlier, moms, you deserve absolutely all that credit, so I don't even blame anybody for why Joseph gets overshadowed, but in this instance... Joseph is faced with a life-changing set of circumstances that aren't turning out as he expected. And as we think about this, I wonder if you have ever been in something like that. Now, maybe not facing that same situation, but maybe something of equal gravity. Or certainly something that felt emotionally very similar. Where you had hoped, you had waited, you had planned, and it didn't turn out the way you thought it would. I know for many of us, 2020 began with a catchy name and a ton of prophetic words all around the clarity of vision. It had such a catchy little, we're so excited for 2020, vision's going to be 2020. And I don't mean to make light of the Lord's prophetic words. I, you know, come what may, they will come to pass. But I think we can all acknowledge that despite all of those, 2020 didn't exactly feel like clear vision. It maybe didn't turn out the way all those prophetic words seemed to indicate that it would. And maybe for some of us or those of you at home watching, 2021 was supposed to get better, but actually here we are in May, almost June, and things are just now opening up. And maybe you find yourself like, I thought it was going to get better, but I still am struggling. The pandemic has mean a myriad of things from... All the time at home has put relationships under pressure. I know that from families, um, you know, mother-daughter, uh, mother-son, father-daughter, father-son. I mean, from kids to parents and even to marriages. I know that time at home can put, has put so much pressure on everybody that it might have taken its toll. And maybe you just never thought you'd end up where you are currently. You never saw it playing out the way that it is. Others of us, financially, it's been a struggle, and everybody said it was going to get better, but here we are. Things haven't turned out the way you expected. No matter where you are, how you feel about the last 12 to 18 months that has, have passed, I bet we're all asking the question, what now? Now, I want to turn back to Scripture because we see a further display of humanity. I, I love Scripture because if you look closer, because sometimes we read it so much, it just seems like, well, yeah, everybody knew what, how it was going to turn out. In fact, that's so far from the truth. Is I want us to discover the humanity here. Verse 19, he, it says, because Joseph, basically, because Joseph was a good guy. He's a good guy. He honored the law. And I think even bonus points for me, didn't want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. So what's going on here? He's going with plan B. He's bowing out. 
And I think what's really interesting about this is we sometimes, again, hindsight's 2020, so it's like, well, if you just persevere. But the real question is, is was he justified for feeling this way? My question to you is, are you justified for feeling that way? And I think the uncomfortable answer is, like, totally. And I think that's part of these, these moments, these now what moments, is we first have to acknowledge that your, your first reaction, where I go in my head so frequently, where you say, you know what, this just didn't work out, like, it must just not be for me. That temptation or that inclination to bow out is absolutely fair to quit, to say, this must not be for me. But in this scripture is an invitation. In this story is an invitation. You know, I think back to when my, first, my wife and I first took over as uh, youth pastors in Antioch, Waco. Um, I took over from a man of God who had been doing it for 20 years, so a little intimidating to try to fill what he'd been doing. Um, but he was tired, and he had been serving for uh, a, a really long time and actually had been saying for uh, uh, one to two years, he'd been saying, I, I, I need to transition out of this role, and most of all, I need a sabbatical. And so to say my training was brief would be an understatement. Emphasis on brief. It was like a week. And he was like, okay, great, you got it, go with it. And then he was out of town. And um, come to find out that one thing about youth ministry, and so this is 14 to 18 years old in the U.S., um, uh, is that like summer camp is paramount. So I know camping is huge here. We're about to go do it in a week. I'm super excited. Um, thank you that everything's opened up. Um, but um, uh, summer camp, a youth Church summer camp is huge. It's like 50% of your youth ministry. It's like, yeah, you preach week to week, but nobody cares. Summer camp, right? And so I just didn't realize how big of a deal is. Why? Because I had never been. I had never been to one. I had grown up not in the church, and so when I'd come to faith later in life, um, um, and I just had never been to summer camp. And so here we are in March. I took over in January. March was like, okay, I need to get moving on this. I started calling around, um, and everywhere was booked up. Everywhere was booked up. I couldn't find a slot for us, and it turns out that's because if you're booking a venue for summer camp, you book it in October and November, not March. So I was late on the ball. I couldn't find anywhere. Finally found somewhere called Three Mountain Retreat, which sounds like lovely enough, right? Um, uh, it wasn't, but it was at least available, okay? So I knew it wasn't going to be that great. We were going to have to kind of produce all of our fun. They didn't have that many amenities, but I was thankful that we at least found a venue. I also struggled to find leaders. That was the other thing that I was like, oh, wow, we're really on an uphill battle here. Um, we had a lot of leadership turnover because of the leadership change, um, which is to be expected, but it was quite challenging to find um, leaders. And, um, and so we, and, and, and on top of that, Texas has a whole set of laws specifically for summer camps. So um, come to find out, it is actually a robust set of laws and uh, actually it was quite difficult to understand what it is that I needed to do and I was legally accountable for. So um, all of that kind of set the stage for us to begin our very first summer camp. Now, um, Check-in was chaotic, all right? I didn't exactly start the trip off communicating to parents like your child isn't going to die with me the next four days, okay? So that was a rough start. Um, and not only that, but we had, we had built all of these games because, it, like I said, they didn't even have a pool. They didn't have a pool. So uh, Texas in, in uh, July, which we were doing, is like basically the surface of the sun. Welcome. Like, you've arrived. So they didn't even have a pool, so I was like, we're going to need to do some stuff. So I have a picture here just to kind of give you. Um, I made like this giant slip and slide. You can't see it, but those pipes right there, that's because I literally had to make the sprinkler to like 
wet the plastic or else, you know, I mean, have you ever like rubbed against plastic with bare skin? Like, yeah, so I was trying to make this, this thing we call slip and slide and it worked, but it, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily say this is like a wow factor, you know? So it was like getting the job done. Um, and, um, but I could tell our students were disappointed. Um, th three Mountain Retreat, I nicknamed to Three Hills No Fun. Um, <laughs> They were most definitely not mountains. They were raised elevation of dirt, right? So they were definitely hills. And I will forever call it Three Hills No Fun. Um, um, so I was frustrated. It wasn't turning out like I expected. I could see my students weren't having that much fun. And, you know, I just was a new, I was new to the gig. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I was taking a break um, back, like kind of back away from all of our students and leaders. And I was just feeling sorry for myself. And uh, uh, Lee, my wife, walked up to me, and she delivered me the most, the worst possible news. She said, hey, um, I'm sorry to tell you this, but this, the Texas Department Health of Human Services has shown up, and they're inspecting the camp, which means that they're also inspecting us. And so they want to see all the paperwork for every kid. They want to see all the paperwork for the leaders. And they went through, I mean, to everything, every, every number, every letter written on there. We turned out we didn't have, actually have enough leaders, so I had to pull some 18-year-old seniors in, in like secondary school to like be as leaders. I mean, it was just, I, in that moment, to say I was angry and frustrated would again be an understatement. I was at the end of my rope because here I am, I'm expected to pull this off and I feel so inadequate. I feel so ill-equipped and I feel so under-resourced. And where did I go? In that moment, I said, forget it. We're sending everybody home. I'm sorry, parents, that's it. We're, we are just going to just, we're, just, we're gonna try again next year. And it was in this moment that I cried out to God. Now that sounds really spiritual, really holy. I can assure you it was anything, but it was, I can't believe you sent me out to this like, God-forsaken place. Like, I am on the surface of the sun in a place that's three hills and no fun, and I don't even want to be here, so I don't blame my students who don't want to be here. And it was in this moment that I felt God speak to me, and he said, I'm not asking you to be perfect. I'm asking you to be surrendered. When your life seems most out of your control, surrender makes me most in control. I had an encounter with grace, it, was, it wasn't booming voice. It wasn't this like really super spiritual experience. It was a simple voice in my heart. And it was in this moment I had an encounter with grace. Now, somebody else has an encounter with grace in the Bible. And it's the Apostle Paul in, in uh, 2 Corinthians. Um, he actually, we don't know what it is that he was up against or what wasn't uh, meeting his expectations. He describes it as a thorn in his side. But I love Jesus' response. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And Paul then says, therefore, I boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Now here, Paul is doing something really interesting. He is equating these what now moments, these moments of helplessness. And he's saying that in that moment, if you surrender, it becomes a place of power. It's at our point of surrender we become most open to the purposes of God and most attractive to the power of God. 
And I believe that it's in these moments that the Holy Spirit, when we open up and we let go of control and we say, I can't do this, this hasn't worked out, that the Holy Spirit will put God's vision on your heart as he pours out his power on your life. And it's only through these what now kind of moments. Because the truth is, as I feel like at least in my life, most of it is whatever I had in mind, God didn't actually have in store. And there's a ton of different reasons that we can explore, like behaviorally, theologically, why is that? But I think that we just, it's, Paul describes it, we see in part. And things get muddled and mangled in our mind, and we, get, we come up with this picture that isn't exactly what God had in store. And it's these moments of what now that actually invite us to align with God's vision for our lives. And so whatever disappointment, anger, frustration, hopelessness, disillusionment, for the, you those at home and the random person watching three months from now, whatever it is that you feel like I just ready to bow out, could it be that this moment has brought you to your knees so that you could receive God's vision and purpose and power for your life in this moment? Because after all we have been through corporately as a nation, I mean the world over, but as a nation, as a city, as a church, after all we've been through, this church, we as the, the big C church, we as believers, we need a new vision to hold in our heart. It's because when life wrecks the picture that you have in your head, it's going to be grace that gives you a vision to hold in your heart. When life wrecks the, vi the picture we have in our head, it's grace that's going to give us a new vision to hold in our height, in our heart. Um, going back to our story here, verse 20 and 21, Joseph has an encounter with grace. God gives him a new vision. And one really important thing to acknowledge here, um, the new vision is uh, because he will save his people from their sins, which uh, sounds great. And we all know Jesus turns out to be, well, well Jesus. So yes, that happens. But what I want us to notice here is ask yourself in this moment, what changes? Trick question, nothing, right? He's still going to wake up with a, like engaged to a woman, pregnant with a son that is not his own. He's still going to have to deal with the social consequences of that. And sure, he's got this vision from God, but sometimes the vision from God is actually, um, it's funny how it sounds absurd, ridiculous, and you actually sometimes sound insane. He's still going to have to deal with the consequences of what has happened, how it will be perceived. He's still going to have to wrestle day by day with believing in this promise that God has given him, and I think that's the point of this is if we notice the humanity and the tension in this story, is that promise was still some 33 years away. And I found that much of life is this moment where we stand where we are as life today, trying to hold on to the vision as God has given it to us. And there's a lot of distance in between. And so I wonder, where are you? Have, do you... You know, maybe at the start of 2020, you had a big vision. And that, that vision has maybe, it was in the distance, but maybe you've lost it. You know, sometimes when you're like walking on a trail, you see something in the distance and it, you dip below and you lose it. Maybe you don't feel like now you ever had a vision. Maybe you're newer to walking with Jesus and you're like, hey, I'm just trying to follow Jesus 
today, much less think about what the grand vision is for my life. But it's, it actually, much of life is this, I am where I am now, and I feel and sense that God has a vision for me that's way over there, and I'm not sure exactly how to get there. And if you don't feel like you're, you have vision, that's okay. I would say welcome to probably the majority of the church in this hour. But I can say God does have a vision for your life. God has a vision for this church, Antioch Sheffield. He has a vision for this church. And he invites us in this moment of what now? He invites us to lean in to him. And so this is where I want to talk about faith. Now, faith is a funny term because the church, we use it a lot, right? We talk about faith, have faith, have faith, have faith. You should have faith. We should have faith. We all have faith. Do we have faith? Do you have faith? We have faith. You have faith. Faith, 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 right? It's one of these words that becomes quickly plastic. It, 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 it loses its meaning. And then, and then sometimes if you go long enough down the road, you realize one day you're like, wait, I love Jesus, so I'm not questioning that, but I actually don't even know what it means to have faith. I, be, you know, like, I believe in Jesus, but it's like, but what does it actually mean? And it's in moments like this that I think that Scripture actually gives us some handholds. Like when you wake up like one morning and you're like, wait, what does it actually mean to have faith? And we find this in Hebrews uh, chapter 11. Verse 1 gives a really simple um, explanation. I love it. The definition says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for, and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we see. Now, um, it doesn't stop there. Then this is what we call the um, Hall of Fame of Faith. So it kind of the patriarchs, it kind of traces through. Um, and actually, it's not just the patriarchs. There's some uh, um, uh, other characters thrown in there. It's a really interesting list for many reasons, but we don't have time to go into it. Um, but I want to focus on the story of Abraham, how it defines the story of Abraham. Um, and so it says in verse 8, it says, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, his father and grandfather, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, a.k.a. not in a tent, right? And, you know, I mean, camping's amazing, but have you ever, like, overstayed your welcome in, like, tent scenario? It's, it, you're literally going crazy, you know, right? So anyway, so other words, he's looking for somewhere permanent, not temporary, like a tent, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, his wife, who was well past ch childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man... And I love this little flourish it throws in there. Uh, scripture is alive. It's dynamic. It's not written by a bunch of, I mean, it is written by a bunch of dead old guys like a long time ago, but it is like living and active for today. This little flourish that he throws in there, he says, and this man as good as dead. And so from this one man, he, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and countless as the sand on the seashore. So what I want us to notice here in this story about Abraham and the definition of faith is that it never once equates faith to a feeling. It never once says faith is how you feel. So in other words, if you don't feel like that particularly faithful, however you would define it, congratulations, you're in good company. Because faith isn't based on a feeling. Faith is expressed in a decision to action. Faith is expressed in a decision to action. 
In other words, faith is being confident in the character of God and committed to obeying the command of God. Faith is being confident in the character of God and then committed to obeying the command of God. And this is the essence of surrender. Is when we reach it to the end of our ability to make things turn out the way that we think they should turn out. Of, of opening our hands and opening our hearts and say, you know what? I can't, but I think that you can. Faith is actually that word in Greek, just really quick, is political in nature. You vote for somebody based on their agenda, but also in your perceived ability of them to carry out their will. So put it in that context for me is really helpful. Faith is just saying, you know what? I think Jesus is more likely to do it than not. And saying, then tell me what to do. And so Joseph has this what now moment. Now, if you're like me, you're like, that's easy. Joseph had a literal dream. He actually had a dream and was told what to do. I, I haven't had a dream. And if you're anything like me, when I do dream, it's just the most bizarre collection of things from my life that I don't even know how to fit together. You know, it's like I visited McDonald's. I went through the drive-thru. They gave me a chihuahua. And then I w woke up like I woke up in the south of France. Right. And you're just like, Lord, what does it mean? You know, oh, France. Um, but he had a dream. What about us? And what I want to say is we have uh, the Sunday school, Sunday school answer, which is we have Jesus. Hebrews at chapter 1 actually describes Jesus as the exact representation of his being. In other words, when we look at Jesus, when we study his life, when we obey his command, the Bible says that actually you are looking at the Father. You're studying God himself and you are obeying God. So when we look at Jesus, we actually see God himself. He is the exact representation of who God is is and not only that jesus's life is example but actually jesus gave us like some like commands he actually told us what to do now i want to paint some context so we're going to be in the the the, uh, the end of luke um where we just had our scripture readings earlier this morning um in luke 23 jesus is crucified which is um a, a horrific event right um, in Luke 24, we all know the story. Jesus is raised from the dead. Luke 24 has him appearing to Mary Magdalene. Um, John also features this with a few more actors. Um, and, and Luke and John trace really similarly together. Next, um, Luke actually features a story about Jesus appearing to two disciples who are on their way out of Jerusalem, on their way to a place called Emmaus. And it's a really interesting, we don't have much time to go into it, but basically they didn't recognize him. They're talking about it. Jesus plays coy and is like, oh, well, what are you guys talking about? And they're like, have you been living under a rock? Like what you haven't heard about what's gone on? And, um, and so um, they, they walk with him. He explains. He actually calls them fools, which is awesome. Um, I just find myself in that scenario all the time. Like, I know I am the fool. Um, but um, uh, they share a meal. Jesus blesses the bread, pours the wine. or He uh, breaks bread, pours wine, blesses it, and suddenly their eyes are open and he disappears. Now, we're going to pick up this story. Um, these two guys... Um, it says they got up in verse 30, chapter 24, verse 33. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together. And they said, it's true. The Lord's risen and appeared to, to Simon. And then the to told what happened to them on the way and how Jesus was recognized them when, he, when they recognized Jesus when, they when he broke the bread. 
And while they were still talking about this, Jesus stood himself among them and said to them, peace be with you. And I love, again, another helpful flourish. Uh, they were startled and frightened like they had seen a ghost, as I would uh, be saying probably things that would make me seem not like a Jesus follower. So um, Luke 24 uh, but John 20 offers a really helpful insight. So this is the same episode they feature. John 20, verse 19. It says, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Now, this is really important because it sounds like they're being super holy gathered together. Why are they gathered together? Well, think about it. When Jesus was walking with those two disciples, they actually, they said it, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. In other words, Jesus seemed like a great prophet. Clearly now that is not the case. I mean, he was. He did amazing works, but he's been crucified and buried. And he's a failed prophet. I mean, that's what they're saying. It's like we had kind of, we put all of our eggs in one basket with this guy and it didn't work out. So why are they gathered? It's because none of them have any other options. They are in a corporate what now kind of moment. And they're scared. Why? Because they're criminals. They're outlaws. They're outcasts. Jesus has been crucified and buried, and they are in a moment where things did not quite turn out the way that they expected. Now, Jesus appears to them and sneaks them kind of out of Jerusalem before his ascension, and he gives them some instructions. And so this, we're getting to this point. Jesus gives them instructions. He gives us some instructions. Two familiar passages, one we read earlier this morning in Luke chapter 24, it overlaps with Acts 1-8. They're the same episode, but it puts a little, again, a little different color on it that I want to read. And he tells him, Luke 24, 49, I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And Acts 1-8, the more familiar of the two, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus gives them a command, and there are two important things that if you find yourself, as I think we all corporately do, in a what now kind of moment, two important things. Number one, what were they doing? They were together. Now, um, you know, there's a saying, in, invention, uh, uh, necessity is the mother of invention, right? Um, I think this also, they, they were gathered together out of necessity. But I think that there is something that we can extrapolate here, which is that when you face a now what moment, when you're like, I don't know what to do next, there's something about that we are called to gather as the church. If 2020 has taught us anything, is that individualism is bankrupt. Now, I'm not saying the better parts of that, that you as an individual have been imbued with characteristics of God, but you cannot do this on our, your own. We cannot do this on our own. The church may be imperfect, but it is the place where we gather. And the second thing, what did they do? Jesus told them, stay in Jerusalem. In other words, wait. And this morning, I wonder where you are. Because you've, number one, you've done the first step, you've gathered. But for those of you at home, I know there's kind of a, a spectrum of comfort level with everything opening back up and vaccines are still being kind of rolled out through the country. I just got my text message the other day. I'm super excited. Um, um, no matter where you are, I understand some of us aren't comfortable coming out yet, but you need to gather in some way. You can do it in some way whether that's virtually or in person, but I know we, it's time for us to come out of, of, our, of our isolation, out of our separation, and it's time to start gathering together as the church. 
And the second thing that we do is we pause and we wait. Why? Because we don't actually, we're not confident in the character of God. And if you're like me, I'm not committed to obeying his commands. Some days I'd rather sleep in. Some days I'd rather just eat till it makes me feel better, sort of, until then you regret eating all that. You know, I'd, I'd rather do these things that feel more comfortable in the moment, but I, and I need help. And that's the truth about it. And so I, I, I just want to highlight here is that these two things are the elements of, of, of a life of faith. And, that, and that's where I want us to, to land today. And I want to ask the band to come up and, and um, play before uh, we go into a, a time of worship and response. But I just want to set these two things in front of you. Is gathering is, is, an, is part of being faithful. Gathering is part of being faithful. Is that when we don't know what to do, now is the opportunity not to draw away, not to feel, maybe sometimes you feel like it's your fault and it's, it's I'm, I'm going to draw away. I shouldn't, you know, uh, if they knew, I, they wouldn't accept me. But actually, you know what, whether it was your fault or someone else's fault in these now what kind of moments, Jesus calls us together as the body of believers. And number two is we wait to be faith-filled because we cannot do it on our own. And as we remember Pentecost Sunday, this gathering of believers waiting, that's, we are doing what they did over 2,000 years ago, and we are doing that again today with the church all over the world. And I wonder this morning, what if we just took a few minutes to wait? So we've gathered, but now it's time to wait. Would you stand up with me? I want to speak to two groups of people really quickly, and I want us to commit to the church or sorry, there's two groups of people. Um, number one is, is you know, um, as we kind of look forward, now is the opportunity to, co- to commit to the church. And what I mean by that is, it's not like signing your name on some like registrar or, uh, or, or something official, but it's in your heart saying, you know what, I- I've been kind of like floating on the outer realms of church, you know, kind of visiting, kind of just saying like, ah, oh, yeah, I kind of like use it as a, a conversation piece if asked if you go to church, like, yeah, I go to that church. You, uh, even those of you at home, uh, again, virtual is not the issue here. It's mainly a heart posture is that it's, maybe it's now your time to lean in to this gathering peace. Maybe you feel like you've kind of separated yourself and what would it look like for you to lean in? The second group of people is, the reality is the last 12 months has been really difficult. I don't care who you are. No matter where you're from, how much money you make, where you live, it's been challenging. And so I just wonder, maybe you feel stripped of your vision. And what I know is when the fire of God falls, he gives us fresh vision, gives us fresh hope. And he gives us power to be able to be confident in his character and committed to obeying his command. The last group is just for anybody here or at home, you've been spiritually interested, kind of checking out Jesus and his church and what that means. And just invite you that maybe now is the opportunity for you to say, you know what, I want to commit my life to following Jesus. And you know, that it starts with a prayer. It's a process of letting God start to work in our lives. And I just wonder maybe this morning or for the random person watching three months from now on YouTube and you don't know how you got here, but here you are, maybe now is the time to say, I'm gonna give my heart to Jesus. I wanna pray for those three groups really quick. I know I've gone a bit long, but um, yeah, I just wanna pray for this house. It's so good to be with you. And you pray with me. Jesus, thank you for this 
house, for this church, for the people here. And God, I thank you that you're calling us in this what now kind of moment, you're calling us to let go and to surrender. And I thank you for that beautiful picture that the disciples gathered together and the fire of God fell. And what did it do? It sealed their hearts. It put power in them to then go out and accomplish your vision. I love it says that they would, from there on, if you read through Acts, they go literally to the ends of the earth. But they didn't do it on their own. They didn't do it based on a good idea. They did it in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Lord, we surrender again as your church and we say we need new hope, new vision, and new fire for 2021. And Lord, it's just so many people across this nation are asking spiritual questions, I pray. Lord, that every person in this room would be equipped for that salt and light moment to just offer the word of wisdom, the scripture, or maybe just a word of encouragement, Lord. And we pray, Lord, would you set your church on fire? And we do believe that when the world seems to be on fire, it needs a church that's on fire. And as we look out and see so many things that just seem like they're literally on fire, nothing's working, everybody's angry. God, I pray that you'd make your church on fire so that we could be the hands and feet of Jesus to a hurting world. And for these different groups, Lord, I pray. Lord, would you help us lean in, help us receive your vision and carry it out in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. To listen to more messages like this one, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk forward slash podcast. We are looking forward to seeing you soon.